Hey guys, what's up? Happy Friday and welcome back. Thanks so much for tuning in this week for another episode of the B-Music Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Musica. As always, we're going to analyze, review, and discuss the latest news and dive into the past regarding movies, music, video games, and much, much more. If you don't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at B-Music Reviews. And tune into the B-Music Reviews Podcast each week on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, we thank you so much for tuning in. Please be sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment below, and to hit the bell icon to receive notifications that informs you exactly when our podcast goes live, as well as all other video content. Also, be sure to visit our website at www.musicaprojects.com. There you will find all important links to our latest podcast episodes, new projects currently available, and also previews of those currently in development, along with our latest blog posts. If there's a question or a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, send them to bmusereviews at gmail.com with podcast question slash topic in the subject line. With all that out of the way, let's not waste any more time and get right to this week's news. Welcome everyone to the BMuse Reviews podcast. Alright, and topic number one today, Constantine 2 is officially in development. Now this comes to us from IGN and they write the following, a Constantine sequel is officially in the works with Warner Brothers and sees Keanu Reeves returning. The Keanu Sons has hit the DC multiverse officially as Reeves returns to play the title role of John Constantine. In a very unexpected but welcomed good news for DC fans, Warner Brothers is moving forward with an official sequel to 2005's Constantine. And yes, Keanu Reeves will star once again as the willy magician slash demon hunter John Constantine. As reported by Deadline, Reeves is set to return alongside director Francis Lawrence and producer Akiva Goldsman. Goldsman is also penning the screenplay this time. The film is also going to be produced by J.J. Abrams and Hannah Minghella. There is no word currently on what the plot of the sequel is set to be or whether other actors like Rachel Weisz, Shia LaBeouf, or Jaiman Hansu will also return. Constantine 2 will mark the first time that Reeves has played the title character in nearly 20 years, mirroring Michael Keaton's belated return to the Batman role in 2023's The Flash. As recently as December of 2021, Reeves voiced a strong desire to reprise the role of Constantine. Man, this was such unexpected news. I woke up one morning and I saw this on, I believe Twitter was the where I first saw the news break. And I honestly could not believe it. I had no idea that this was even a possibility or whether it was even in the works or in talks to happen. But it's official. 
Constantine 2 is officially in development currently. And the screenplay is being written currently. And basically from this point, once the screenplay is finished, the studio Warner Brothers will then look at the work that's been completed on the on the project and ultimately decide whether they want to greenlight it or not. My guess is that they 100% will, but with Warner Brothers, you never know. The rise of Zaslav has been upon us for many months now, and we never know what they may choose to do. But knowing that they are at least interested in developing this film is really awesome. Honestly, I, I'm a big fan of the first Constantine film. I know many have not seen the film ever, and so... I would definitely say it's one to check out for sure. Keanu Reeves absolutely kills in a role. Rachel Weiss is great in the film too. Shia LaBeouf, Jimin Hansu, and you can't forget about Tilda Swinton. And the list goes on of who pops up in this film, uh, in the first film. And it's 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 really interesting. It's a, definitely the dark side of DC for sure. And it's exploring their horror elements as Marvel will uh, do with Blade. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. And the true horror show that, uh, <laughs> that the Blade has turned into, unfortunately. But um, Constantine 2, I mean, it's really awesome to hear that this is in development. Definitely was unexpected. And I honestly, I'm definitely going to want to go back and watch the first one uh, before the second one does come out. Just to refresh my mind of, of what they were able to accomplish and create in this world. It's very dark, very dark, but very creative, very different, and I always appreciate that. If you have seen Constantine, what did you think about the film? Are you a fan of it? Are you not a fan of it? If you have seen the first Constantine, what are you thinking about this news with Constantine 2 officially being in development? Be sure to write to us and let us know your thoughts. All right, and topic number two today. Last week, we got a chance to talk about Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley the fourth installment to the Beverly Hills Cop franchise officially being announced, officially going into production, and also recent cast news. Well, now there's more cast news, and this comes to us from The Source, and they write the following. The original cast from Beverly Hills Cop is returning to join Eddie Murphy in the upcoming Netflix sequel. Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, and Paul Reiser are all joining Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley. According to Variety, Netflix picked up the rights in 2019 to release the next Beverly Hills Cop movie, which is currently in production. The film will be the fourth installment to the action comedy franchise, with the third movie being released in 1994. Well, like I said last week, talked about last time on the podcast, I myself have only seen the very first Beverly Hills Cop movie. I still need to see the second and the third one. I hear the third one is the weakest of the franchise, that they really didn't have a clear vision for what the film should be and ultimately could have been. But ultimately, I know that Tony Scott directed the second film and that uh, while it doesn't live up to the first film, it's not a bad film in its, uh, in its own right. So looking forward to checking those out and catching up on the franchise and definitely excited to hear that the original cast is returning it's, it's always you know to me if you're going to do something you got to go you got to go all in on it and this is one of those cases where they're going all in bringing in new cast members such as joseph gordon levitt but also bringing back the original cast as well to make sure that it's true to the franchise and it has a clear vision for what it wants to be and what it should be 
it's really good to hear. This is also news. I, I, I love hearing news like this. And like we said last time too, anytime franchises that are from the 80s especially and are just iconic, well-known franchises such as Beverly Hills Cop, the fact that they're, they're we're getting another sequel in this day and age, close to 40 years later, I, that's it's unbelievable and it's really awesome. I am all here for it. At the end of the day, too, like it's almost like a ban if a band came back you were obsessed with in the 80s or 90s or whatever, and they decided one day tour again 30, 40 years later, you wouldn't want, you know, one or two of the members to be original and then the rest new members. In many cases, that does happen, and understandably so. But if you have the chance and the opportunity to bring back all the original members, that's the right way to do it, in my, in my eyes and they've done it here with this film will it be good who knows there could be this movie could be at complete garbage i'm hopeful that'll be good so very optimistic and it's just great to hear that this that the original cast is returning it's definitely exciting news and and definitely curious to hear your thoughts but with that said curious to know what you're all thinking since our last episode of the podcast have you started to make your way through the beverly hills cop franchise if not, will you be doing so? And also, are you excited to hear that the original cast from the first Beverly Hills Cop movie are returning for this fourth installment? Let us know in the comments below, and always be sure to write to us as well. Alright, and our third topic today. The James Bond producers are looking for a 10-12 to 12 year commitment, a report says. Now, this report comes to us from Yahoo News, and they write the following. The search for the next James Bond is officially on. So say famous producers Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. It's still in the early days, the pair told Variety in a recent interview about the Goliath casting. Daniel Craig played the world's most famous spy for 15 years, and the producers understand that it's a weighty commitment for any actor. Idris Elba, a longtime candidate to become the first black 007, recently stated that the job isn't a goal for my career. He's great, Wilson said. We love Idris, Broccoli added. The thing is, it's going to be a couple of years off, she noted. And when we cast Bond, it's a 10-12 to 12 year commitment. So he's probably thinking, do I really want that thing? Not everybody wants to do that. It was hard enough getting Daniel Craig to do it, Wilson added. And he was in his early 30s at the time. Speaking about the commitment required to shoulder the weight of the franchise across many years, Broccoli said, A lot of people think, oh yeah, it'd be fun to do one. Well, that ain't gonna work. She quoted former James Bond actor Pierce Brosnan, who once said, More people have walked on the moon than have played James Bond. According to Ladbrokes, British Superman star Henry Cavill is in the bookie's favorite to don the tuxedo at 2-1 to one odds. Ex-Bridgerton actor Rajon Page is next at 7-2 to two odds, followed by Idris Elba at 4-1 to one odds, despite his denials, and finally Tom Hardy at 5-1 to one odds. Now, I myself do not have a pick as to who will be Bond. It could be none of... Like, the fact that all these people are in the front running and they have the odds, that's great. But these producers could literally be looking at none of those individuals. And like they said, they're looking for somebody who's going to be willing to take on this 10 to 12 year commitment. Henry Cavill, 
who knows? They're still not telling us whether or not he's going to return as Superman or not. He may. He very well may be. But if he doesn't return, then I could maybe see him stepping into this in, into this franchise. However, it is not at all a guarantee. People would love to see it. I myself would be interested and curious as, as to how it would go. I think he would be a fantastic Bond. But he may not want to do it. Not everybody wants to do it, as Barbara Broccoli mentioned. I don't know. I truly don't know. I mean, before... I think it was well before they even started to do No Time to Die. Before they even started working on that film, a lot of people were talking about, oh, who, who you know, oh, Daniel Craig not wanting to return, so who's going to be Bond, all that stuff. And my personal choice at the time i always said was aiden turner i thought would be a, a fantastic bond choice at the time because this was about five to six years ago uh, if not more and you know i really thought okay well, if they wanted to do a different take on bond and if he was you know with a young bond the start of his career and kind of go that route i thought aiden turner would be a good choice however you know, Daniel Craig wound up coming back anyway, and so the conversation was completely meaningless. However, a lot of the individual actors that were discussed at that time, Tom Hiddleston, I remember, was one for a while. Tom Hardy was one, and now Tom Hardy still is included in these odds, and I believe Henry Cavill and Idris Elba were always in the running as well, with Rejean Page now being added to the mix. I don't know where they are going to go with this. I have full faith that they will choose the correct actor i have full faith that they will do that and it's going to take some time it's not an overnight process it's not an easy process whatsoever if it was it would have already been decided by now well they would have the next 10 bonds lined up and it's just not that it's not that simple so as they continue to discuss and make their way through this casting process the grueling one that it is i have no doubt that once when it's all said and done and the official announcement is made that we will be pleasantly surprised and also uh, very eager to see the work of the next james bond i myself am very excited and very eager to know uh, where they go from here where the franchise goes from here but ultimately with everything I will enact patience and look forward to it fondly when it does arrive. With that being said, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Who would you like to see cast as James Bond? Do you think the producers are right in looking for an actor who, to take on the 10-12 to 12 year commitment and knowing fully well what is expected of them when stepping into that role and accepting the position? What are your thoughts? curious to know as always be sure to comment below if you're watching on youtube as always be sure to write to us all right and our next topic today topic number four getting into the mcu marvel segment of our podcast today the question today john bernthal's punisher to return for mcu's upcoming daredevil born again that is the question now this comes to us from msn John Bernthal is rumored to return as the Punisher in Disney's Daredevil Born Again. The MCU is a multiverse now, which means nothing is off limits. Characters can return from the dead 
and even some of the actors who appeared in Netflix's Marvel show are coming back. Charlie Cox will return to the role of Daredevil in Disney Plus's Born Again, and he may well be joined by John Bernthal's Punisher. Tom Smith revealed via Casey Walsh and Charles Murphy that Bernthal is rumored to be popping his skull costume back on for the Daredevil series. Walsh and Murphy are known within superhero fan circles for being pretty reliable when it comes to information like this. It also comes off the back of the belief that Kristen Ritter's Jessica Jones would be making a cameo in She-Hulk. Apparently, that cameo would have been the first building block on which Jones's full return to the Marvel landscape would be built. Don't go waiting for her to appear in the final few episodes of She-Hulk, however. Ritter's schedule did not line up with the MCU show's production, so she will likely not be in it. That means no establishing her in preparation for Born Again, hence the decision to bring Bernthal instead. They needed another Netflix star to fill the role. It's John Bernthal, Smith tweeted adding that Ritter might still make a cameo appearance in the 18-episode first season of Daredevil Born Again. If the Punisher actor is returning to the role, it will be the first time that Bernthal has played the anti-hero since the Punisher's second and final season aired on Netflix in January 2019. Born Again will start filming sometime in 2023, by which point it might be clearer who exactly from the Netflix shows will be returning for MCU roles. Alright, big news. Big, big news. I truly hope that this happens. I truly do. I'm still hesitant and optimistic for the Daredevil Board Again show. I'll say that. I was a enormous fan of the Netflix Daredevil series. Huge fan. All three seasons of that show, I think, are phenomenal. And one of the reasons, one of the aspects of that show that make it phenomenal is John Bernthal's Punisher. Fantastic character and one that I would love to see explored more and love to see introduced and officially being brought into the MCU. Now, how do you do that? I 100% believe that this is the right way to go about it. Bring him into Daredevil Born Again. You're introducing Daredevil to the MCU officially in his own series, and the only way I can see them introducing the Punisher is by bringing him in and ushering him into that series so fans can see where he fits into the whole mold of things. I'm curious to see how they'll utilize him specifically, but I'm optimistic ultimately. I'm really hopeful that they stay true to the the core characters of not only Daredevil but Punisher as well, especially if Punisher is in fact used in the series. One thing that fans have said and complained about obviously is is that you know the lack of violence that's going to be in the show and all that stuff. You haven't seen the show yet, I myself included. So that's why I'm remaining highly optimistic that the show is going to be awesome. I'm really hopeful that it does that and I'm optimistic that it will. If it doesn't, okay, well, you can always go back and watch the Netflix series are always going to be available as well. So you have that option as well. And so at least with moving forward with the Daredevil series and seeing which Netflix characters do in fact make their official MCU debut, if any, it would be really nice to see that they at least stay true to the characters as much as they possibly can. Obviously, it being a Disney Plus show, you're going to have to 
you know, pull some punches and it's not going to be nearly as gory and violent as the Netflix show was. And we understand that. Just not hoping for a watered down version of both the characters. That's all I can say. And I'll leave it there. But ultimately, the news that John Bernthal could be returning to the role as the Punisher, it's perfect casting and it's just awesome. And he's just awesome on screen. His presence on screen as that character, fantastic. And I really, really would love to see how the MCU, Kevin Feige, brings him in and kind of utilizes the character specifically for here on out. What are your thoughts on this news, though? Did you ever see the original Netflix Daredevil series? In addition to that, did you ever check out the Punisher series as well? Are you a fan of those series? Were you not a fan of those series? And what are your ultimate thoughts on this news? Are you excited for the possibility of the Punisher making his MCU debut in Daredevil Born Again? Be sure to write to us and let us know your thoughts. Alrighty, and our next topic today, topic number five, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The official runtime has been revealed. Now this comes to us from The Wrap. Marvel fans have plenty of time to enjoy Wakanda and mourn Chadwick Boseman as Ryan Coogler's Black Panther Wakanda Forever will have an official runtime of 2 hours and 41 minutes according to the listings on multiple movie theaters websites. The sequel to the Best Picture nominated superhero film will be the second longest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe canon, second only to the 3 hour Avengers Endgame. It is 5 minutes longer than the previous film to hold that number 2 spot, Chloe Zhao's Eternals, and 27 minutes longer than the first Black Panther. For hardcore Marvel fans, such a long runtime for Wakanda Forever probably won't be surprising considering how much the film has to cover. Along with writing out King T'Challa, whom Marvel decided not to recast after Bozeman's death in August 2020, Wakanda Forever is set to show the consequences facing the Black Panther's homeland after T'Challa's decision to reveal its advanced technology to the world, all while T'Challa's family must determine who will take his place as both leader and protector of Wakanda. Meanwhile, Wakanda Forever will also introduce a new civilization, Talokan, an undersea kingdom ruled by King Namor, who declares war on Wakanda after T'Challa's decision to open his country's borders puts Talokan in danger. Black Panther Wakanda Forever will officially be released in theaters on November 11th. Super excited for this movie. I'm very much looking forward to it. Two hours and 41 minutes, that's nothing the average standard and what I expect for a Marvel movie, for any movie in the MCU that comes out nowadays, I'm expecting a minimum two hours and 15 minutes to two hours and 45 minutes, up to three hours. So this is nothing. Two hours and 41 minutes, it's basically the, the default at this point. It's like the default setting for these movies when they're, they're put into the machine of Marvel and Disney. So... I'm looking forward to it. Definitely curious to see what the film entails. Obviously, Talokan being introduced and King Namor declaring war on Wakanda. Curious to see how it all plays out. Definitely curious to see how it all plays out. I've heard rumblings that King Namor apparently could be, possibly is, or could possibly could not be a mutant. And we've known 
that mutants will slowly, slowly but surely be many within the MCU uh, by the time it's all said and done with Avengers Secret Wars. So, very curious to see what happens in this film and what it will entail ultimately. I'm hoping for a few surprises in that if this film really does kick things off for the next two phases, phase five and phase six. This film is the official end of phase four, as I believe it. And I think it's definitely going to leave us with a bang and set us off into a whirlwind, which will be phase five. And I'm really hopeful. <laughs> and I'm not going to be disappointed if this doesn't happen, but I would love it. And I think it'd be really interesting if Dr. Doom actually makes his debut in the MCU in this film. I say that strictly because of, you know, the advancement technologies that they're going to be discussed and, you know, scrutinized in this film and ultimately what will be the conclusion of the war between Talokan and Wakanda. What will be the, you know, quote-unquote endgame in, in this particular film for the characters, the land, and where will it set us off for phase five and phase six? Obviously with phase six, with Kang Dynasty, but specifically Secret Wars, Doctor Doom is going to play an integral part, huge part as one of the villains. And I think that his debut in this film would be perfect. It doesn't have to be long, you know, it could be a 30 second scene. Hopeful for more, obviously, but I think that we might possibly get Doctor Doom in this film. And if that happens, I'm gonna lose my mind. But we'll have to wait and see. November 11th is right around the corner, less than two months away. Less than two months away to the official end of phase four before we are officially in phase five of Marvel's MCU. What are your thoughts on this news? The two hour and 41 minute runtime being announced. Are you excited for Black Panther Wakanda Forever? What are you hoping to see in the film? What characters are you hoping to see pop up in the film? Let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube and always be sure to write to us as well. All right, continuing with the MCU talk here, topic number six today. The upcoming Blade film has officially lost its director. Yep, you heard that correctly, folks. Marvel Studios Blade will no longer have director Basam Tariq at the helm. Blade, which has a release date of November 3rd, 2023, was gearing up to begin shooting in November in Atlanta. It is now unclear how Tariq's departure will impact the production start of the vampire action thriller, which has Oscar winner Mahershala Ali in the title role with the cast also including Delroy Lindo and actor Aaron Pierre of old. Due to continued shifts in our production schedule, Bassam is no longer moving forward as the director of Blade, but will remain as an executive producer on the film, Marvel said in a statement to THR. We appreciate Bassam's talent and all the work he's done getting Blade to where it is. The director departure comes as Marvel gears up to release its first horror-themed project, the Halloween special Werewolf by Night, which arrives on Disney Plus on October 7th. Now, this news sucks. I'll be, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to lie. This news is not good. This news sucks. 
Blade is probably my most anticipated MCU film currently slated for release in Phase 5. Other than Avengers Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars, Blade is hands down my most anticipated film. I cannot wait to see this film, and I'm super excited that Mahershala Ali is in the title role. Now, with that being said, I've also read a report that with all of this production fiasco and nonsense going on, the process so far has been disastrous. And I have read a report that Mahershala Ali has become highly frustrated with this entire process. And understandably so. Well, understandably so. It is not great when your main star in the title role of your film, making his official debut in the MCU with this character and as himself. It's not great with everything you're doing in the production of this film. It's making him increasingly more frustrated. That's not a good look. And that's not something that they should look to continue doing. Um, in addition to that, the original script was reported to only be around 90 pages, give or take. Incredibly short. And within that script, it included two rather lackluster action sequences. Now, take these reports with a grain of salt, but this news was coming from fairly reliable sources. We'll say that. And now, just when things couldn't get any worse, to top things off, this morning, news broke that the entire script for this movie has been thrown out. Chucked it right in the garbage bin. All 90 pages. All 90 pages completely trashed. The entire movie is now going to be completely rewritten from scratch. From scratch. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I read this and I first could not believe my eyes when I read this this morning. I saw it on Twitter and I, I was just at a loss of words. Now, Bo DeMeo is now leading the overhaul after impressing Kevin Feige with writing Moon Knight and also writing the X-Men, the upcoming X-Men 97 series. Now, I believe DeMeo only wrote one episode of Moon Knight, to be clear. I believe it was episode three, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that. Also worked on the upcoming series, as I said, X-Men 97. So now, Bo DeMeo is officially leading this overhaul and rewriting the entire script from scratch. Wonderful. So now, a movie that was set to start filming in a few weeks in November and set for a November 3rd, 2023 release, now has no director and no script. Wonderful. Do we even have a movie at this point? Like, if I'm Mahershala Ali, I don't even know how to react to all this few days after losing the director and getting ready with less, with less than two months to go set to report to Atlanta to start shooting this bad boy and <laughs> director drops out now today a few days later no script my eyes would just continue to roll and honestly it's just it sucks to see all this going on with this film it really really does I'm still hopeful and optimistic that this is going to turn out okay, but we'll see. I'm 
getting extremely more nervous um, as time goes on. But with Mahershal Ali at the helm, I know this is going to be the best. I'm hopeful it is. <laughs> I'm hopeful it is. I'm really just terrified that he's going to be the next one to just say, look, I'm done with this whole process. You guys can't get your stuff together, and that's that's just a shame. I am praying that does not happen. I truly do want to see him in this role. I think he's a fantastic choice to play Blade. I couldn't think of... I really cannot think of anyone better to be in this role to debut as Blade in the MCU other than Mahershala Ali in the title role. I truly cannot. It's perfect casting in my eyes. And I really want to see a good movie. I'm hopeful that this movie will turn out good. We'll have to see. I mean, they're going to completely rewrite this thing from scratch now. So we'll have to see when the time comes. November 3rd, 2023 still is the release date, but I do not see that sticking. I do not see that sticking. With all the pushbacks we've seen with some movies, I definitely see this one getting pushed back. It's just a matter of finding that right date for their release. It sucked too because I knew they were going for a Halloween release, you know, a few days after Halloween. Getting it released it next year on November 3rd would have been perfect. Really would have been perfect. And if they're still able to make that release date, hey, bless you. <laughs> I hope you can. But with no director and no script less than two months before filming this thing and it's still and it still has the same release date, I mean sweating bullets. Sweating bullets to say the least. So we'll have to say. I'm hopeful that this movie is going to be great. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. What are your thoughts on this news? Have you seen the original Blade trilogy? Are you looking forward to seeing Mahershala Ali debut as Blade in the title role with this movie set to release next year? What are your thoughts on the loss of the director and also the script completely being trashed? Gotta know your thoughts. Curious to know what you think. Be sure to write to us and let us know. All right, and our next topic today. Topic number seven. The question right now is who is after She-Hulk? Now, spoiler alert, if you're not watching She-Hulk, you can skip this topic today. Be sure to skip ahead if you don't want to hear any potential spoilers for She-Hulk. Today, we're going to be talking more of a hypothetical and kind of what our general thought process is when looking at what we've been given in She-Hulk so far and trying to figure out where it connects in the ultimate plan for the MCU moving forward with Phase 5 and Phase 6. Who is after She-Hulk? Now, this comes to us from IGN. Tim Roth's Abomination is not the only Incredible Hulk character making a long overdue return to the MCU. At D23, we learned that Tim Blake Nelson will reprise the role of Samuel Stearns, the leader in the upcoming movie, Captain America, New World Order. While it's great to see Marvel finally following up on that particular loose end, it is a little surprising that the leader is being positioned as a Captain America villain rather than headlining a new Hulk movie. But as it turns out, that's the whole point. The leader is the last sort of enemy that Sam Wilson is expecting to tussle with, and that's exactly what makes him so dangerous. Let's quickly break down the leader's background and why he may actually make sense as the next 
big Captain America villain. So why is the leader appearing in a Captain America sequel of all things and not She-Hulk? As we've established, now is not an ideal time to explore the iconic Hulk leader rivalry in the MCU. Bruce Banner is currently off world for the foreseeable future. And as far as we know, the leader has no particular reason to hold a grudge against Banner anyway. Assuming that he resents him for being transformed into a super genius with an oversized head in the first place, he has much more reason to hate Ross and Blonsky. And when they say Ross and Blonsky, referring to Abomination and also General Thunderbolt Ross. Now, that may actually play into the leader's role in New World Order. Maybe being betrayed by one of the U.S. military's most decorated military officers has Stearns in the mood for revenge. Ross himself probably won't appear in the film, given that actor William Hurt recently tragically passed away, but the leader could be looking to destroy Ross's reputation and discredit America on the world stage. And that means he also may have his sights set squarely on the new Captain America. Whatever his motivations, director Julius Ona makes it clear the leader is so dangerously precise because he's not a villain Sam Wilson will see coming. Actions have consequences, and that's what's so great about what the MCU has been able to build, Ona told IGN at D23. In this universe, in this world, things that people do come back in ways that are surprising and unexpected, and Tim Blake Nelson coming back as the leader is such an exciting thing to explore because his story now is going to challenge Sam Wilson, our new Captain America, in a way that we never expected. So it's really, really thrilling. And I think a lot of things that got set up and established years ago will allow the MCU to actually go into new directions that audiences are going to really, really be excited about. Sam Wilson has tussled with some of the strongest villains in the MCU and lived to tell the tale, but he's never faced someone as intelligent as the leader. Is he up to the challenge? We'd like to say yes, but it's very telling that Captain America 4 sets the stage not for the next Avengers movie, but for the Thunderbolts movie. The leader may have a hand in destroying the symbol that is Captain America and ushering in a newer, darker era for the MCU. I'm very curious to see how this all plays out. A lot of speculation first came about who was after She-Hulk? And when the question first arose, who is after She-Hulk? Who is the main villain? Who is the one plotting against She-Hulk? And as mentioned in this news article, the storied rivalry between Hulk and the leader, you would think Tim Blake Nelson returning as the leader already announced, oh, that character is going to debut and be the main challenge for the character of She-Hulk in this series. Nope, that's not the case because Tim Blake Nelson is officially making his return as the leader, as the villain in Captain America New World Order, the fourth installment to the Captain America franchise, respectively. I'm looking forward to it. I think what director Julius Ona said, the reason why the leader is so dangerous is because he's not familiar with them. So he's not really sure what to expect or what to anticipate. So he's going up against a foe that he has 
no connection to at all. It's really interesting. It's almost like Batman going up against like Brainiac or something. It's truly awesome. And I got to say, I'm all here for it. I think that this is going to make a very interesting movie. Captain America New World Order is currently listed as a panic thriller. So I'm very excited to hear that and to know and that ultimate theme of the movie will be told specifically from this matchup between the leader and Captain America. It's going to be a panic thriller simply because you're going up against the foe. You have no prior knowledge about. You have no connection to. You have no idea how to stop them or what their true motivation is. Why would they be going after you and attacking you? The report states very, very well could be the plot for the movie. Very well could be. But we'll have to wait and see. Now, if Tim Blake Nelson is making his return as the leader and serving as the villain in the next Captain America film, the question still remains, who is after She-Hulk? Who is after She-Hulk? I think we have our answer. I think we have our answer. My guess is Modoc. Now, who is Modoc? you're asking? From the little I know, as I understand it, in the comics, George Tarleton was simply a human guinea pig being used by an organization known as AIM. And after being used as a human guinea pig, basically, they eventually turned Tarleton into their mental organism designed only for killing, or MODOK for short. Due to AIM's experiments, Tarleton's head grew to a freakishly large size, and thanks to the increased superintelligence that they were able to give him, growing so big that he needed an actual floating chair just to be mobile. On top of all that, he was also given powers in the comics known as Technokinesis, which means that he can remotely control technology simply with his mind. Now, Modoc served as the AIM's lead tactician and strategist as his intelligence nearly borders on precognition, but I strongly believe that Modoc is the one that is after She-Hulk. I think it would be awesome. I think that it would really be awesome. It would be really cool to see this villain appear in the MCU. Will they actually pop up? We'll have to wait and see, but somebody's after She-Hulk. And if I had to put money on it, I'm saying Modoc. It's not going to be the leader, and the leader is going to pop up in Captain America New World Order, and that's going to be where Tim Blake Nelson officially makes his return as that character in the MCU. I say, give us Modoc. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? Who do you think is after She-Hulk? Are you excited to see the leader pop up in Captain America New World Order and serve as the villain in that film? Do you think that MODOK could be the one that is truly after She-Hulk? Do you hope that's the case? Who are you hoping to see pop up in the She-Hulk series? What villains are you hoping to see get used in the MCU from here on out? Be sure to write to us and let us know your thoughts. The MCU is growing and moving full steam ahead, and we're all here for it. It's awesome. Be sure to write to us, as always, and let us know your thoughts. All right, and our next topic today, topic number eight. Kevin Smith and Dogma. 
Now this comes to us from MSN. Kevin Smith recently said that his 1999 movie, Dogma, is not available on streaming anywhere because Harvey Weinstein is, quote, holding it hostage, end quote. The director, 52, told the rep that disgraced Hollywood producer Weinstein, who is currently serving a 23-year prison sentence in New York, sold the film's rights to himself and released it via the Shining Escalibur Company. In order to tell you the story, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say the name that nobody wants to hear anymore, but of course, Harvey Weinstein figures into the story, Smith said. Dogma, a film about two fallen angels trying to get back into heaven, even if it means destroying humanity itself, was written and directed by Kevin Smith and stars Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, George Carlin, Jason Lee, Salma Hayek, Chris Rock, Alan Rickman, and Linda Fiorentino. After becoming a relative box office success at the time, Dogma was released on DVD and Blu-ray and was once available in a digital form until the rights lapsed, Smith said. Now it's nowhere to be found and copies of the discontinued Blu-ray version are sold for about $100 online. Man, I gotta tell you, this sucks to hear. This absolutely sucks to hear. Unfortunately, when somebody owns the rights to whether it be any sort of project um, really anything a car it could, be, it could be anything a house if the person owns it no matter how horrible of a human being they may be if they officially own it and all the documentation is in line and they're the true owners they are the true owners and they do not have to sell it they don't have to do anything as much as people would love to see, you know, Dogma go back to Kevin Smith, myself included in that. It's just how how it works. It's just how the system works. And, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that Kevin Smith is able to acquire the rights to his film. But at the end of the day, those who pay for the movie ultimately wind up being the ones that own it. And this is one of those cases. So... While extremely unfortunate, I do hope and I am optimistic that this situation can be rectified in the future. Hopefully, Kevin Smith is able to acquire the rights to the movie at some point in the future. But right now, it's, yeah, it's unfortunately in limbo. And it's just, it's going to stay like that for the foreseeable future until something changes. Question is, though, have you ever seen Dogma? If you have not, be sure to watch it. If you can't find a copy on DVD... Pretty sure it's available on YouTube somewhere. I'm sure you can find a copy online somewhere to watch. It's definitely one to check out, especially if you're a Kevin Smith fan. You're a Kevin Smith fan and never seen Dogma. I don't know what you're doing, especially if you're a huge fan of Clerks. Jane signed the Bob Strike back. This is your movie. This is a movie that you're going to like, especially the cast alone is unbelievable. This is one to check out for sure. I'm a huge fan of this movie. And, and honestly, just reading this article definitely makes me want to watch the film again for sure. But like I said, if you've never seen the film, be sure to give it a shot and watch it. If you have seen the film, what did you think? And what do you think about this scenario? Be sure to write to us and let us know your thoughts. Hey guys, just want to take a minute to give a major shout out and say thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode of the BMU's Reviews podcast, Marla Jean Boutique. If you are seeking a gift either for yourself or a loved one who finds value in handmade items, then look no further than Marla Jean Boutique. 
She has a collection of trendy handmade items including clothing, wine bags, jewelry, and much, much more. Use the promo code BMUSEREVIEWS10 at checkout to receive 10% off your entire purchase. Connect with Marla Jean Boutique on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Marla Jean Boutique. And be sure to visit their website at www.marlajeanboutique.com. And once again, be sure to use the promo code BMUSEREVIEWS10 at checkout to receive 10% off your entire purchase. And now, back to the podcast. All right, switching gears here, our next topic today, topic number nine. GTA 6 footage was recently leaked and also confirmed as real. Now, this comes to us from comicbook.com. The recently arrested 17-year-old accused of multiple counts of hacking has appeared in court last week over 90 videos of Grand Theft Auto 6 leaked online and the leaker claiming that it was the result of a hack on Rockstar Games. The videos revealed a ton of info about the game, such as the two protagonists, the setting, new mechanics, missions, and much more. Needless to say, it was a historic leak for gaming. Rockstar Games responded to the leak, noting that it doesn't expect it to have any long-term impact on the development of GTA 6, but it isn't an insignificant act either. The leaker claimed to have been responsible for a hacker on Uber as well, and the ride-sharing company noted it was working with the FBI on an investigation into the matter. Last week, London police confirmed it had arrested and taken a 17-year-old teen into custody on suspicion of hacking, though it did not specifically connect it to the Rockstar game situation. However, many have speculated and reported that the hacker has been living in the UK, so it drew a lot of eyes. As reported by Bloomberg, the suspect appeared in a specialist youth court in London and pled not guilty to computer misuse and guilty to breaching his bail conditions. The judge has moved the case to a higher court where it will be heard at a later date. London police also confirmed to Eurogamer that the teen is being held in a youth detention center right now. As of right now, it is unclear where things will go from here. It's also worth noting that the case still has not specifically named Rockstar Games as one of the things the teen is suspected of hacking, so that should be kept in mind. Man, this is bonkers. This whole situation is bonkers. The fact that this leak even took place is insane. Over 90 videos of confirmed GTA 6 footage was released. It's nuts. So now there's information about the two protagonists of the game, the setting, the mechanics, missions, and a lot more. I mean, all that hard work for the company, ugh, they had to feel gutted. They absolutely had to feel gutted after this. This sucks. This sucks. I don't know if this is the 17-year-old that did it or not. We'll have to see. I mean, time will tell. But ultimately, this is a real crappy situation. And definitely feel for Rockstar Games here. I saw a lot of people too. Oh, this wouldn't happen if, if they would have just release this sooner like oh that's what happens when you don't really stuff to the fans sooner like you gotta be insane to condone this in any sense is just nonsense to condone this kind of stuff in any sense bizarre 
just purely bizarre. And people were just whacked out. When Twitter's a hellhole anyway, and so what do we expect? <laughs> Shouldn't expect anything different. Well, with all that being said, obviously they don't see any long-term impact on the development of this game, which is definitely promising to hear. And it seems that they're optimistic that things will turn out okay in the end. And I myself am hopeful for that as well. What are your thoughts on this whole situation? Are you excited for GTA 6? Are you bummed to hear that this happened, that all these leaks took place? Man, it's a really crazy situation. Curious to know what you all think about it. Be sure to write to us and let us know. All right, and topic number 10 today. Switching gears once again. This time, going to do an album review. This week, the album we're looking at is the most recent album from The Killers, Pressure Machine, which released in 2021. Now, Pressure Machine is the seventh studio album by American rock band The Killers. It was released on August 13th, 2021, and the album features the return of guitarist Dave Kooning to the studio with the band after his absence on the previous album, imploding the mirage while while bassist mark stormer was absent due to difficulties caused by the covid19 pandemic during recording jonathan ratto and sean everett returned to produce the album pressure machine is a concept album based on lead singer brandon flowers's childhood in nephi utah the album features a guest collaboration from singer phoebe bridgers on the track runaway horses Pressure Machine originated during the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic when the killers recognized that the planned Imploding the Mirage world tour would have to be postponed. Although the killers briefly considered using some of the leftover songs from Imploding the Mirage to start their next album, they instead to embrace the idea of a full concept record based on Brandon Flowers' childhood. Drummer Ronnie Venucci Jr. described the choice by saying, but the sky was falling and we were hit with this emotion, especially Brandon. We wanted to do something following that feeling. I remember him saying, follow me down this road. We put those songs to the side and embarked on something new and fresh. That's what became Pressure Machine. Dave Kooning rejoined the band in the studio after having completed his own solo album, A Mild Case of Everything, released in June 2021. And I gotta tell you, not only is his album phenomenal, but they're phenomenal live. I just saw them for what is now the fourth time seeing them live. Wow. These guys do not disappoint. They know how to put on a concert. I will never miss them. Anytime they come around, I will be seeing them. I will never miss them. They are a band I always go to see and make sure to see each time they come around. I always listen to their new albums. I love going to see them on their tour for their new album and hearing the new music live. It's it's just something that I look forward to every two to four years. And I remember the first time I ever was ever going to get a chance to see them, I had waited about three and a half to four years before they put out an album. Yeah, because 2008 was when they released their album Day and Age. And that's actually when I discovered them. I didn't discover them with the Hot Fuss record and all that stuff. I did not discover the Killers with the Hot Fuss album or even Samstown. I actually first discovered the Killers, believe it or not, on MTV. Yes, this was actually when music videos were still played on MTV. They actually did that in like the mid-2000s, which I'm lucky enough to say that I experienced that and I found my favorite band 
from watching MTV. I remember it like it was yesterday. I would think I was in like sixth or seventh grade. I believe it was sixth grade. Uh, I don't think I was in middle school yet. And getting ready for school one day, had MTV on, and the music video for Human by The Killers came on. And I remember listening to the song, watching the entire music video before school, and from that moment on, I was hooked. From that moment on, that did it. That did it. That moment in sixth grade before school, watching that music video, changed my life. I'm being serious. It really changed my life. And all the music I listen to nowadays, all the new wave influence, all that stuff, that really just, that all stemmed from listening to The Killers. Their influences became some of my favorite bands. Depeche Mode. You've listened to this podcast before. We've done reviews of Depeche Mode albums. If you know me, you know I'm a huge nut for Depeche Mode. And, you know, that's all becomes listening to The Killers and other bands, like, from growing up. It's just something that naturally led me to where I am now. And a lot of my life has been influenced by music from when I was a young kid even to now. Every day of every year, always listening to music every day of every year. And as I get older, I, I realize more and more the, uh, the influence that music has on my life and my personality and where I find myself. So it's really awesome. And it's, it's something that connects us all. And we can all look back on finally, like I can, with The Killers. If you have not listened to this new album specifically yet, definitely be sure to check out some of these tracks. Check out Quiet Town, check out Cody, and check out In Another Life. Those three tracks are my top three favorite tracks from this new album, Pressure Machine. All their tracks are always great. They never disappoint with any of their music. I can firmly say that. But if I had to pick a top three favorite tracks on this new album, those would definitely be it. Quiet Town, Cody, and In Another Life. And to close out, they are still on tour. So if you have never gotten a chance to see The Killers, do not miss your opportunity. Be sure to check them out next time they come around, whether it's on their current tour or their next one. Do not miss the chance to see The Killers live. You will not regret it. Be sure to check out the album as well. If you did get a chance to listen to this album, what are your thoughts? If you had to pick a top three favorite songs by The Killers, what would they be? Be sure to write to us and let us know. All right, and our next topic today, topic number 11, back to some movie talk here. Since our last podcast, we recently got some new trailers, and we're going to talk about three of them here today. The first being Devotion. So the film Devotion follows a pair of U.S. Navy fighter pilots who risk their lives during the Korean War and become some of the Navy's most celebrated wingmen. The trailer itself is great. I don't need to see any more of the film. I'm in. This is one of those trailers where you're like, okay, don't show me any more. I'm in. Seems like a great story. The cast alone with Jonathan Majors, who obviously is going to be playing Kang in the MCU. To have him alongside Glenn Powell, you know, who also played, if you know, this just looks like a... This looks like a linear move from Top Gun Maverick to this film, still serving as a Navy wingman, as as hangman in that film, to now serving this film. It looks awesome. Story looks great, and to know that it's uh, based on a true story of two celebrated wingmen, also during the Korean War, which is a period in our history that's it's not talked about. It's certainly not talked about enough. To know what this film is about, 
It makes me that much more excited and interested to see it. This film is set to be released in theaters on November 23rd. Alright, the next trailer, Hellraiser. This film is a take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box, unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites. This film looks nuts. I've never seen the original. That is something I'm definitely going to make sure to do before seeing this film specifically. I want to make sure I'm all up to date and I know the concept of, of what Hellraiser is. I know like images and I know kind of what it entails. I really need to see this movie. But before I need to see this movie, I want to make sure I watch the original and do my uh, due diligence that way. This film is set to be released exclusively on Hulu on October 7th, just in time for the Halloween season. Our next trailer today was for a knock at the cabin. Now this film synopsis reads, while vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. The latest film from director M. Night Shyamalan stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Eldritch, and Rupert Grint, and is set to be released in theaters on February 3rd of 2023. This film looks insane. I know nothing about this film. Apparently, it's a book. Didn't know that before going in, but apparently it's a book. And in two weeks for our next episode of the podcast, we're going to be including a list of books that are being made into movies soon that I want to make sure that I read before they are in fact released. So we'll be sure to include that list in our next podcast episode. But you can rest assured that Knock at the Cabin will be on that list or whatever it's called. Because I don't even actually know if that's actually the name of the book or not, to be honest. But knowing that it's a book and knowing how insane this movie looks, definitely want to read the book first. If you have not gotten a chance to see the trailers for Devotion, the new Hellraiser film, or Knock at the Cabin, be sure to do so. And once you do, let us know your thoughts. All right, and now it's time for some film reviews. Topic number 12, getting to our first film review of today's episode. Now, recently got a chance to see Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Now, this film was interesting, to say the least. Wasn't really sure what to expect other than it being a comedy, it being listed as a comedy on IMDb, its trailer being cut as a comedy, and, and more of what I thought it was going to be was a pretty hard R raunchy comedy that was being filmed as a like kind of a, a mockumentary a, a docu-series slash mockumentary well uh it was kind of that i guess or attempted to be i should say the synopsis for the movie reads in the aftermath of a huge scandal trinonite childs the first lady of a prominent southern baptist megachurch attempts to help her pastor husband, Lee Curtis Childs, rebuild their congregation. Again, this movie is listed as a comedy. It's trailer that was played in theaters that I saw over and over again that made me want to see this film and I'm curious to know more about it. It all was comedy. <laughs> it was all for laugh. This film was not funny at all. I hardly laughed ever in this film. The first like half hour to 45 minutes, 
I was like looking around the theater, which was pretty much empty. I was looking around. I'm like, it was dead silent. Crickets. I'm like, are we supposed to be laughing at this? Like, oh, I'm I'm so confused as to what's going on right now. There is so much, so much silent, awkward tension that this film creates. Not because of it's like shocking what's going on, but it's just it's like so many jokes just bomb. And I'm like, I don't, it's it's almost like you saying, oh, hey, I have a comedy, and you're going to see it. And it's just like, oh, oh the, the screwdriver fell with the duck. Ah, like, like, what? What does it even mean? Like, is that supposed to be funny? Like, that's really how this film makes you feel. And, and then the last, like, the third act of the film, this movie turns from trying to be comedy to just full on goes into this, like, dark drama. Like, this dark, depressing drama. And I'm like, what is going on? And then, and then it just ends. The film just ends. You don't know what the resolution was between characters and the whole plot of the story, if any at all. Films were just like to lead you there, like, what did I just spend two hours of my life watching and and doing? I I, I mean, I'll be honest, this was not my favorite film of the year, as you can tell. I wanted this film to be good, and fortunately, it's just not. It's just not good. So I mean, that's the film review on Hunt for Jesus, Save Your Soul, um, save your soul, and do not watch this film. Otherwise, you will live to regret it. <laughs> <laughs> as I have. But with all that being said, if you did get a chance to see Hunt for Jesus, Save Your Soul, what were your thoughts? What did you think about the film? If you didn't get a chance to see the film, like I said, avoid this film like the plague. Likely not going to be one for you, but maybe it will be. Okay, and our next film review today, Clerks 3. Recently got a chance to see the concluding chapter to the Clerks trilogy. Never thought there would be a Clerks trilogy. I don't even think Kevin Smith did either. But nonetheless, this film sees Dante, Elias, Jay, and Silent Bob all enlisted by Randall after he suffers a heart attack to make a movie about the convenience store that started it all. This movie was fantastic. I loved this movie. I had such a great time seeing this movie. And I'll be honest, then even the next day, even the next like day or two after we're seeing the film, I was still thinking about the experience in the theaters. Just the fact that I was lucky enough to experience it in theaters, to see the third Clerks movie, which never really thought there would be one. But the fact that there is one now was not going to pass up the opportunity to see it in theaters. And I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I did not. I really wish that there would have been more people in the screening that uh, we went to, but nonetheless great for the experience and the people that were there it was a great time and a hell of a funny movie i was really surprised at how much this movie really got to, like tugged on the heartstrings too really wasn't expecting that but it does it very well very effective movie definitely do not miss the chance to see clerks 3 but if you have not seen the first two clerks movies don't even think about watching this film yet be sure to watch the first two and then give this one a shot you will not be disappointed however if you did get a chance to see clerks 3 what were your thoughts? What did you think about the film? Let us know. All right, our next film review. Recently got a chance to see See How They Run. Now, this film is featured in the West End of 1950s London 
where plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt following a pivotal member of the crew being murdered. The film stars Saorsi Ronan, Sam Rockwell, and Adrian Brody. I had a lot of fun with this film. Thought it was truly original, refreshing whodunit that really does keep you guessing until the very end. And I can almost guarantee that your guess will be wrong. Maybe it won't be, who knows. But my guess certainly was, I thought I had this movie figured out like 10 times over and I was completely wrong. It fooled me completely and I really had fun with this one. Definitely recommend checking out it in theaters. A fun time for sure. Next film review, The Woman King. This film is a historical epic that is inspired by true events that took place in the kingdom of Dahomey, one of the most powerful states of Africa in the 18th and 19th centuries. This film stars Viola Davis, Thuso Mabedu, Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atim, and John Boyega. This film had me speechless. I teared up multiple times while seeing this film. This film is emotionally driven. It's just incredible. It's a beautiful film. A rich, brutal tale that delivers, I mean, emotionally charged performances by the entire cast, especially Viola Davis and Lashana Lynch. Viola Davis has got to be one of my favorite actors working today. She's simply incredible. Absolutely incredible. Anytime I see that woman on screen, I'm like, she's, uh, she's got the Oscar. She's got the Oscar with this one. And about seven or eight years ago, I remember going to see the movie Fences in theaters knew absolutely nothing about the film going in, walked out, first thought Viola Davis better win an Oscar for that film. And she did. She did. 100% deserved. This film walked out saying the same thing. She's going to be nominated for an Oscar, if not win the Oscar. Her performance in this film is incredible. This entire movie is incredible. Do not miss out on this one. Do not miss out on your chance to see this film in theaters. It's incredible. And now for a movie that is far less than incredible. Don't worry, darling. Oh, no, don't worry. We will worry. Uh, so this film follows a 1950s housewife that is living with her husband in a utopian experimental community that begins to worry that his glamorous company could be hiding disturbing secrets. This film is directed by Olivia Wilde, and also stars Florence Poe, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, Kiki Lane, Nick Kroll, and Chris Pine. This film, massively disappointing. Now this film was not The Woman King, <laughs> that is for sure. Oh boy, where do I begin with this film? Where do I begin with this movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you almost have to dodge the amount of plot holes that are in this movie. It's staggering. The amount of plot holes are in this film. So much to talk about. I don't want to go into too much spoiler territory. There's, uh, if you haven't seen this film yet, I'm not going to go into spoilers if you haven't seen this film yet. But, oh man, there's just so, there was so much potential with this movie. There really was the making of a great film here. There were a lot of good stuff that they introduced. And if it was executed correctly, this film could have been great. It should have been great. It's not. 
it, it simply was not a great film because of the lack of focus that this film has. It introduces eight to 10 or 11 concepts and themes that are never discussed again, never followed up with, but they're made to seem so significant in that moment. And they ultimately just, at the end, just they're like, oh, well, that was completely pointless. Why have that? There's one instance in particular, I'm not gonna get into this, I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but there's an instance where an airplane is seen by one of the characters and they're mesmerized by it. Um, that leads them on their path that kind of picks up the pacing of the film a little bit from the from the start of it. And it's never mentioned ever again in the film, never mentions why that even happened, how that it was even made to occur, especially after the the whole, you know lackluster twist in the movie once that's all revealed you're like well okay well, if, that, if that's all the case how is that even able to even occur and why did it occur and why haven't we talked about it since especially because that's what sent the characters on their especially the main character on their whole arc and the whole movie that's what started it all it's kind of what kick-started it all it's just never followed up with again and that's only one of the examples i mean the whole first half hour to 45 minutes of the movie is literally just stretched out scenes from that were cut into the trailer. So the first half hour of the film, you're just watching the, the, the longer version of the trailer that they've shown in theaters for six months. I mean, ugh, there was so much potential for this film to succeed and it's just not going to because it wasn't executed properly. The editing and the, the holes in the script that's just, that's going to be the movie's downfall, and it has been so far. It made $30 million opening weekend. It's not terrible, but it didn't win. It lost out to a movie that came out in 2009, 17 years ago, which is the film we will be talking about next, and that is Avatar. That is right. Avatar earned $30.5 million this past weekend, beating out don't worry, darling. A movie that came out 17 years ago beat out a movie that has been highly anticipated by audiences across the globe for the last six months to a year. All the drama surrounding Don't Worry, Darling certainly, certainly affected the movie's box office potential. But not only that, the film itself not really being anything to be hype over. I mean, yeah, that, that word of mouth is going to spread. But audiences, at least they're not wrong. I would much rather see a film financially flop due to not being good content and not being a good film rather than a good, if not great film, suffering because of drama circumstances. I would much rather that be the case. However, however, like I said, with our last film review today, we're going to be talking about Avatar, the re-release. Now, originally released in 2009, this James Cameron epic follows a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. This film stars Sam Worthington, Zoe Zaldana, Sigourney Weaver, Michelle Rodriguez, Joel David Moore, Giovanni Ribisi, and Stephen Lang. This film I really didn't remember too much about. I remember the bulk of the story. But there are a lot of things I forgot in this film occurred. And I'm not going to go into spoilers or anything like that, especially if you haven't seen the film. 
my girlfriend hadn't seen the film prior to going to see it in the theaters. That's why we went. That's truly the only way to see this film, I believe, is to see it in theaters for the first time. And I got to be honest, it still holds up. It's still a great movie in my eyes. It really did make me that much more excited for the sequel. They actually even showed a few minutes of footage of the upcoming movie at the end of the screening as well, which was really cool that they did. And I really appreciate that. The Avatar The Way of Water is set to release in theaters on December 16th. And I can definitely say for 100% certainty that watching the re-release of Avatar definitely built my hype and anticipation for the film even more. It's right around the corner, December 16th, just a few months away. If you've never seen the original Avatar, be sure to check it out. And if you have seen the original Avatar, what are your thoughts? Did you see it when it originally came out in theaters? I know for myself, I did, and I still remember it fondly. Getting a chance to see it in theaters again, it was like reliving that day all over again. It was awesome. But question is, will you be seeing Avatar The Way of Water when it is released in theaters? Be sure to write to us and let us know your anticipation for the upcoming film. All right, and our final topic today, going to be taking a look at my top 10 favorite slasher films for the Halloween season. As the dawn of October is upon us and the season of Halloween begins, I really wanted to think of the best way to end this week's podcast. I thought it'd be fun to do a top 10 list that would reveal my favorite slasher films to go back and rewatch during my personal favorite holiday, Halloween. Now, growing up, Halloween was always such an amazingly fun holiday. I could not wait to decide on what to be each year. The sounds of families and friends gathering in surrounding neighborhoods and autumn leaves swaying on branches, the wind blows, dissecting each house's bowl of candy for your personal favorite brands of sugary goodness. I mean, it's the best time of the year. <laughs> okay, people say Christmas is the best time of the year. I'm sorry. Halloween and fall time is the best time of the year, in my personal opinion. And also, gr while growing up, my family always invited a ton of family and friends over every year. Everyone always came to the house. Everyone always dressed up, and we always had so much fun. And after we would hold our annual candy council and trade alliance meetings out on the outside trampoline, and making sure that all parties walked away fully satisfied with their respective candy haul, um, all cousins and friends would then make their way inside and, and we would all watch slasher films that would just air on repeat every year on the AMC channel. And because of that, I really miss those times, but ultimately I really look forward to getting the chance to do that again one day. But with all that being said, getting a chance to see all those movies and, and rewatch all those slasher films on the AMC with family and friends, that's ultimately what we'll be revealing today. Based on those experiences, what are my personal favorite top 10 slasher films to go back and rewatch during the Halloween spooky season? Now, kicking off at number 10, Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, this film follows Jason Voorhees as he's accidentally awakened from his watery grave, and he ends up stalking a ship that is full of graduating high school students heading to Manhattan, New York. Now this film is not good by any means, but it's nostalgic for sure. This is a Halloween season must watch for myself. I always love to go back and check this film out. It's insane in this concept, but I, this film specifically takes me back to being with family and watch. I have vivid memories being with family watching this film specifically, just laughing at its corniness, but also just taking in uh, just being together and all that stuff. So. So definitely always making sure to go back and rewatch this film each year. If you've never seen it, 
be sure to check it out if you have seen it what are your thoughts on friday the 13th part 8 jason takes manhattan number 10 on our list number nine on our list stay alive so this film synopsis reads for a group of teens the answer to the mysterious death of their old friend lies within the world of an online video game based on the true story of an ancient noblewoman known as the blood countess this movie is insane the concept is really cool though i think anything that happens online in the video game happens in real life so if you die in the game you die in real life so the whole concept of the movie and the game is to stay alive so i i think i think it's done fairly well it definitely screams that early to mid 2000s era especially with the hair the clothing frankie munez being <laughs> i mean this film has it all and it's actually pretty cool it's definitely one that i like to go back and watch during the halloween season for sure all right and number eight on our list child's play three in this film chucky returns for revenge against andy the young boy who defeated him and now a teenage boy living in a military academy this film is fairly different but i gotta say the child's play trilogy is very much slept on very underrated films the first three movies in the chucky franchise child's play one two and three i think are all fantastic films i would go back and watch any of those films over again they're fantastic and number eight on our list today child's play three is definitely one worth watching if you've never seen it be sure to check it out a different take on the franchise but it was definitely original creative and all three of those films were and i think that's ultimately what allows him to stand the test of time in my opinion all right and number seven on our list halloween five the revenge of michael myers this film takes place one year after the events of halloween four where Michael Myers returns to Haddonfield once again in his attempt to kill his now mute niece. This film specifically is one that I remember hanging out with family and friends watching. And not only that, but number six on our list as well, Halloween 4, The Revenge of Michael Myers, which takes place 10 years after his original massacre. The invalid Michael Myers awakens on Halloween Eve only to return to Haddonfield to kill his seven-year-old niece can dr loomis stop him that's the question and this movie leads directly in to halloween 5 halloween 5 obviously taking place one year after this film both movies i think are just pure nostalgia for me watching these films especially number four i think four is that much better that's why i came at number six on our list number four is just bonkers the scene, all those country hunter guys just like chilling with their shotguns or like 12 gauges, like hunting Michael Myers, like they're like their four pickup trucks. <laughs> There's like three or four of them like hauling around town the entire movie. At the very end, they pick up the two girl survivors and uh, the one guy's like, hey, are you? You guys are all right? You guys safe? And you know, she's Michael Myers just reaching and rip his freaking head off. And he's just like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I just remember seeing that as a kid. I'm like, oh my gosh. Family and friends were all cracking up. <laughs> pure nostalgia just cracking up at like some of the family members react i mean when i see that scene i always just laugh instead of like being horrified I just laugh just but not because of what's happening just because i still remember the, the reactions of so many family members like the old the older family members around us they were like what in the world are you watching good night like this still cracks me up to this day so number six on our list halloween for the revenge of michael myers all right and continuing on here 
Number five on our list, Child's Play 2. Now this film synopsis reads, while Andy's mother is admitted to a psychiatric hospital, the young boy is now placed in foster care, and Chucky, determined to claim Andy's soul, is not far behind. This film was great. I remember the ending of this film more, more so than anything. I remember it taking place in like the toy factory, if I'm not mistaken. This is a good film too. Like I said, the entire Child's Play original trilogy I, still stands the test of time. I would recommend anybody go back and watch these films. I think they're all worth it. I prefer two over three slightly, but I think they're all good films. Next on our list. Next on our list, number four, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original that came out in 1984. This film centers around teenager Nancy Thompson, who must uncover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of a serial killer with a bladed glove in her dreams, in which if they die, it kills them in real life. So this film almost is like the same concept of like stay alive. If you die in the video game, you die in real life. So it was kind of just replacing the aspect of dreams with video game. So it was a lot more watered down. The concept of A Nightmare on Elm Street is very fascinating. The fact that you're in your dreams, the creativeness of, you know, how wild dreams can get and what you can show and how Freddy hunts his victims and, and what ultimately what he does to some of them gets pretty gruesome, but ultimately gets pretty creative as well. The original is my favorite in the whole franchise. Johnny Depp's first movie, even, which is pretty incredible. Definitely a classic film and definitely one to check out for sure. All right, and number three on our list, Scream 2. This film takes place two years after the first series of murders, and as Sydney acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost-faced costume begins a new string of killings. This film is an incredibly strong sequel, and honestly, a lot of times I have a hard time choosing between this one and the original film, but you really, you can't go wrong with either one in my opinion. Very strong sequel and a very strong franchise overall. If you tuned into our last podcast episode, you know that Scream 6 will be taking place in New York City, and the film that came out last year simply just pumped another 10 to 20 years into this franchise again. Incredibly strong horror franchise. And while some may be stronger than others, I don't think there's a single movie in this franchise that you can look at and be like, oh, that was complete. That was complete crap. It was complete garbage. There's not one that is. Every one of them is worth watching at least once, in my opinion, and they're all solid films. All right, and number two on our list today, Freddy vs. Jason. This film is pure nostalgia overload. I watched the crap out of this film as a kid. Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees return to terrorize the teenagers of Elm Street, only this time they're out to get each other as well. This film is bonkers. I love this film. This is one of my favorite horror movies of all time and why it comes up as number two on our list. I watched the crap out of this movie with friends and family. Always, every year, this film was on. Guaranteed. I didn't see this film, I would say, until I was a little bit older I think I waited till I think I was around middle school by the time I checked this film out. Definitely still too young to see it, but uh, it really didn't stop me anytime while watching any of these films. I watched a lot of movies growing up that I definitely should not have at the at the age I was. But nonetheless, here I am giving you guys a movie podcast. So thank you later. And this week's podcast, the number one movie on our list. Out of our top 10 favorite slashers to go back and rewatch every single year for the Halloween season, number one is Scream. 
1996, the original Scream movie, a film which synopsis reads, a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. If you've never seen the original Scream movie, you've never seen any of the films in the Scream franchise, start with number one and work your way all the way through. You will not be disappointed. They are, I think if you're not a fan of extreme gore and you're not a fan of the, I would say, the like demonic elements of movies, poltergeist-like activity, if you're not a fan of that hardcore jump scare, you know, dark thriller, this is your type of heart, I would say. Give it a shot. A lot of comedy elements sprinkled in here. A lot of wittiness as well. And that's where a lot of the comedy, I think, stems from. Ultimately, these films are very smart. Very intelligent screenplays that are written and formed, but ultimately make a solid horror film always at the end of the day in each one of these films. Definitely can't go wrong, and that's why it's at the top of my list for my favorite slasher film to go back and watch each and every year for the Halloween season. You really can't go wrong with any of these films. You might want your time back after watching a few of them, so don't hold me personally responsible. This is just my personal top 10 list for slasher films. But with that said, curious to know what your favorite horror movies to watch during the Halloween season are? Be sure to include your list down below in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. And as always, be sure to write to us and let us know what your list is. And that just about wraps up this installment of the BMU's Reviews podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Musica. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at BMU's Reviews. And be sure to listen every week on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like, leave a comment, subscribe, and hit the bell icon to receive notifications that inform you exactly when our podcast and all other videos are out. And as mentioned, be sure to visit our website, www.musicaprojects.com. There you'll find all the links to our social pages, links to our latest podcast episodes, and also be able to read our latest blog posts as well. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode of the BMU's Reviews podcast, so stay tuned for more. And as always, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.